Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. We're underway with our uh, new series, started last week, a series called But God. And uh, if you were here last week, you remember Simon launched that series. And uh, let me say the... um, the origin of this series was, uh, certainly for me, it was, a, it was a prayer meeting that I attended um, at another church. And uh, at this particular prayer meeting, a, um, a woman shared a scripture. And uh, as she shared this scripture, she, she sort of paused poignantly at this phrase, but God. She read the, read the verse and then she said, but God, but God. And... Uh, as she read that, something uh, stirred, I guess, for me in my heart. And coming away from that meeting, I thought, oh, I wonder if there are other scriptures, other great scriptures. I'm sure there are. I know there are that revolve around this but God phrase. And uh, yeah, sure enough, there are plenty. And uh, it's a real, I think, a, a real uh, turning point phrase. It's a, it's a faith-filled phrase. It's a, it's a hope inspiring phrase, our circumstances may appear, certain, appear a certain way, but God, but God is faithful, but God is, uh, is able, but God can uh, turn our circumstances or change our hearts or whatever needs to happen to turn those things around. So that's the background of the series. Um, our reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 2, just some selected verses which uh, let me read them for us. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, but God. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And then jumping down to verse 16, Paul goes on to say, for who has known the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So just explore those, some of those verses with us this morning. You know, one of the um, great challenges we face as people of faith is the very notion, the very idea that we could possibly interact at any kind of meaningful level with the God of the universe. He is everything that we are not. He is infinite. We are finite. He's eternal. We're here for just a few short years and then we're dust again. He's the almighty creator. We are mere creatures He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. We are none of those things. Uh, Here's a comparison. We're like like ants. 
wanting to communicate with a human being. It's, uh, it's, it's an impossibility. You know, every now and then the ants find their way into our kitchen. Um, anyone else have that problem? We, just from time to time, it's terrible, isn't it? Usually, um, my theory is one of them has found leftover dog food in the dog bowl. And so he goes and reports his find to 10,000 of his friends. And uh, next thing, all 10,000 of them have entered my kitchen uh, in a long line, you know, along the, along the wall there and down along the skirting board to the dog bowl. And I wonder if any of them, as they march along, ever stop and look around. Hey, stop for a second, you guys. Have a look at this place. You know, we live in these tunnels under the sand. I wonder who lives here. This is amazing. I might, uh, I might have a chat with the owner. Now, when I find the ants in the dog bowl the next morning, uh, I don't want to have a chat with them. I pick up the dog bowl and I put it in the sink and uh, I just drown a lot of them. <laughs> and then if that weren't enough, I'll pull out the mortine and uh, kill the rest of them off with surface spray. No mercy. I'm, there's no thought as to whether they're having a good day or um, you know, how they might feel about any of that. Just with a flick of the wrist, I just wipe them away. See, God could do that with us. Uh, I mean, thank the Lord he's promised that he won't do that. You know, the whole thing with Noah and the, the rainbow and we know the story. But God has, the, he has that power, actually, almost with the flick of a wrist. So what an amazing thought that we could relate personally with such a powerful God. The psalmist David wrestles with this very concept in Psalm 8. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. What is, what is that? How can that even be? That you would care for us with all of our whining and complaining and it's too hard, you know, it's not fair. Can you give me a car park? I mean, really? What are the ants on the dog bowl that you would be concerned for their well-being? Of course, the Lord says to Isaiah, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. I mean, Isaiah, you have no idea. I'm so much greater, so much greater. My thoughts are so much higher. You, you can't comprehend. You have no idea. And Paul the Apostle seems to have a pretty solid grasp of this uh, impossibility when he quotes Isaiah in our passage today and he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. How could we possibly... How could we possibly see what God is revealing? How could we possibly hear what God is saying? How could we possibly conceive with our finite, small, limited minds? How could we understand what anything of what God is doing, any of God's ways? Well, the reality is that we can't possibly, we're like ants on the dog bowl trying to understand space exploration. It's 
an absurdity. We can't possibly see or hear or understand. We can't. But God. (laughs) But God has revealed these things to us. It's the most remarkable thing. God's revealed these things to us by his spirit. And, uh, you know, in different ways through his letters in the New Testament, Paul's adamant that there are, there are two kinds of wisdom, actually, that are important for us to understand. There's worldly wisdom on the one hand, and then there's the wisdom of God, which is an entirely different thing. And the worldly wisdom comes from our experience in the world, a wisdom that comes from, from study and from learning and uh, from perhaps the, the school of hard knocks, you know, the experiences of life. And certainly we would say there's value in all of those things. It's, it's good to learn, of course. It's good to study. And uh, Paul himself had plenty of that kind of worldly wisdom under his belt. He lists off his impressive qualifications uh, there in Philippians 3. Uh, I won't read it, but if you just have a quick glance through there, you'll see... Uh, Paul was one of those guys who would have been a a straight-A student. He won all the university prizes. He became a noted, respected pillar of society. He certainly would have been considered a a man of great wisdom, almost certainly a man of great wealth. You know, he drove the right car. He had, had the look. He lived at the right address. And then Jesus, the one through whom the universe has been created meets Paul on the road to Damascus in that very dramatic encounter we read about in Acts 9, very dramatic encounter. And in that moment, Jesus puts some things in perspective for Paul and he has a revelation that actually none of that stuff ultimately matters at all. It's like he has this realisation when he meets Jesus that all of my learning, all of my education, all of my achievements, all of my success, all of my impressive awards, all of my prizes, all of those things that build up my reputation in society. In Philippians, he says, I consider it all rubbish. In fact, the stronger, more descriptive word is dung, is the word that he uses. I mean, the NIV very politely says rubbish. It's a much stronger word. If Paul were an emoji user, uh, this is the emoji that he would use. About all of those things that people would consider to be important. That's what Graham mentioned that. I think he said he uses that all the time or (laughs) Merle uses it or something. I can't remember. (laughs) I consider it all dung, he says. Compared to... The surpassing knowledge, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So, of course, there's, you know, I'm not saying don't study and don't learn. I mean, there's value in those things. But it's done compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. See, there's a second kind of wisdom, and that is the wisdom of God that cannot be accessed through any channel other than through revelation from God. Wisdom that's Revealed in the context of a relationship with God as your Father through Jesus Christ. That's why the prayer of Ephesians 1.17 is such an important prayer. It goes like this, he says, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What a prayer that is. 
Nothing is more important. All else in life flows from this. I mean, I would say pray it over your kids every day. What's the most important thing for you as a parent, for your kids? Uh, I've asked parents that before. I've had that asked of me. What's the most important thing? Obviously, there's a range of answers. People say, uh, well, I want them to have a good education, of course, so that they can get a good job. Yep. I want them to be healthy and happy. I want them to marry well. These are the things that we want for our kids. Of course we do. And I say, yep, they seem like reasonable things to want for your kids. I want those things for my kids. But I think Paul would put all those things in the broad category of worldly wisdom. And Paul would say, with all due respect, parents, all of that is dung. Compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, there's nothing more important than that for our kids, for ourselves. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your kids, your adult children who've walked away from their faith. Keep on praying for them. Praying for that encounter with God, that revelation of a different kind of wisdom, a different pathway from that normal pathway of of education and get a job and make money and buy a house and buy a car and then upgrade to the next thing and then upgrade to the next thing and then you're in a coffin. Dung compared to the most important thing of knowing Jesus. So let me share with you three things about the, this, this wisdom, the wisdom of God, this second kind of wisdom or what it reveals. First of all, it's a wisdom that reveals God's plan of salvation. And in the previous chapter, Paul says something unexpected. He says, Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified. The power of God and the wisdom of God. See, that's unexpected. It doesn't seem right to me. You know, you'd think that Christ raised and glorified would be a better summary of the power and wisdom of God. We, you know, we preach Christ victorious, raised and seated at the right hand of God. Well, yeah, that's true. Yes, of course we do. It's not what Paul says, though, is it? He says, no, no, we preach Christ crucified. The wisdom of God is actually revealed and seen in the crucified Messiah at the cross before it's seen in the victorious glorified Messiah. This is the message of salvation, the means of salvation, Christ crucified, that God himself suffered unimaginably, that God himself through Christ died an excruciating death on the cross, taking on the sin and the brokenness of the world, your sin, your brokenness, so that those who come to him in faith might be given life eternal. Now, all the study in the world, all the worldly wisdom you can conjure up will not lead you to the logical conclusion that this is even a reasonable plan. A fairly random, nondescript Middle Eastern guy, Jesus born in obscurity, never really studied, never wrote anything down, never held any position of influence, then at the age of 33 was executed, and somehow, what are you talking about? Through his death, uh, we can in 2021, thousands of years later, receive salvation and eternal life? Honestly? You believe that stuff? Wow. Sounds ridiculous, like believing in the magic faraway tree. 
Honestly, I get it when people say to me, well, how do you believe all that? This, this, old, this old book, this sort of old book that's written so long ago and a guy that died, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it seems absurd, but God. But God has revealed these things. He reveals it by his, it doesn't make sense actually, but God reveals it by his spirit. It seems absurd until you meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, these things become like the, you know, the, the pearl of great price, like the treasure in the field that Jesus talks about. We just abandon everything else and just go with that because it's the most important thing. Salvation. It's the wisdom of God revealed. The second aspect of this wisdom is that it reveals God's heart to us. And God tells us in Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel in the 6th century BC, a long time before Jesus, he says the day will come when God will give his people a new heart. He'll take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Hearts that are soft, actually, towards his ways. See, the heart of God is soft toward humanity, soft toward you and me. And as God reveals his heart to us, something happens within us as our hearts of stone are replaced with hearts of flesh. As the very heart of God is revealed, it's revealed to us. And so in the first place, that leads us to a deep revelation of our own brokenness, which is what happens with many, if not all people, when they first truly come to faith in Christ. They become aware of their own fallenness, their own brokenness. My goodness, there's a softness that happens when that happens. When we're confronted with the cross, there's a revelation that comes to us again and again. We're lost without God. We're broken. We're desperately in need of his grace, his forgiveness. Everything is hopeless. And then all those things flow from the cross. It's overwhelming for us, that awareness of our own brokenness. And then secondly, we're given revelation and spiritual insight into the lostness and brokenness of the world around us. We used to sing that Hillsong song, uh, Hosanna, contains the line, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's not a line from the scripture, but I'll tell you what the concept is from the scripture. Break my heart, Lord, for, what, for those things that break your heart. I wonder if that's ever happened for you where you're confronted with the pain of humanity and there's a shift in your heart from pity to compassion, from hardness to softness, a shift from, oh, wow, that must be tough, tough. Uh, I feel sorry for those people, to an experience of the love and compassion and empathy of the heart of God that moves you in the depths of your being. We have a, uh, a weekly... Uh, staff prayer meeting every Wednesday morning for about half an hour, great times of prayer. And uh, on Wednesday, as we prayed, Jonathan, who's been leading our worship this morning, he just began to pray for the homeless people in our city. And as he prayed, he began to weep to such a degree that he had trouble getting his words out. Clearly, he was deeply affected by the plight of the homeless. And I don't think that these homeless people are, you know, friends of his or relatives. I think it's his uncle who's homeless. I think these are like random people that are just homeless. He doesn't know them. 
So he kind of eventually collected himself and he's obviously you know, deeply moved. And then the next day, Thursday, um, that little episode had been on my mind just because I hadn't really seen that happen for Jonathan before to such a degree. And uh, I've got his permission, by the way, to share all of this. So I went to his office and uh, we just spoke about that little thing. And I said, so what, what was that about? What do you think happened there? He said, I'm just not really sure. I just, you know, it was just so unexpected. I just, all of a sudden, was overcome with emotion. And I said, well, Jonathan, I think the Lord was revealing to you his heart, his heart for the homeless. See, this is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God to reveal his heart in unexpected ways. And I'm sure there'll be more that will come out of this in the plans of God uh, for Jonathan, but actually for our church in a connection with the homeless that certainly goes back to Graham and Mel's uh, early days of Jesus people, probably even before. Heart for the homeless. What are we going to do about it? Interesting aside, I was driving home later on Thursday, that same day along Leach Highway, and I stopped at the lights and there was a guy standing on the median strip uh, with a cardboard sign around his neck and he approached my car. The sign said that he was homeless and needed some money. Now, I've been driving along Leach Highway for 25 years, never once, never on one single occasion, I remember, I mean, people have stopped me in other places, but never as I've been driving along Leach Highway has someone just approached me from the median strip with a cardboard sign, homeless, I need some money. And so as I gave him some change out of my car, it wasn't just a few dollars, he looked at me and he said, God bless you. Interesting timing. Maybe a coincidence. I don't think so. <laughs> See, there's a worldly wisdom that might say, you know what, that guy should get a job. And if I give him some money, he'll probably just waste it anyway. He'll probably just, in fact, he'll spend it on alcohol or drugs. So no, I won't give him money. The wisdom of God removes that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. A heart that's then moved with compassion. It's the compassion of Christ himself. So that's the second thing. The third thing, the wisdom of God reveals is, is God's nature. I'm really just quite struck by this third point as I reflected on it this week. Let me just share with you an extraordinary truth from 2 Peter. Let's have a look at this. His, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What an extraordinary phrase that is. You may participate in the divine nature. This verse tells us that as followers of Jesus, as those who receive the Spirit of God who dwells within us, we receive everything we need for a godly life, first of all, but then actually more than that. 
We participate in the divine nature, the very nature of God. We participate in that. What on earth does that mean? Well, let me give you an example, probably my favourite example of this very thing. You know, God is uh, revealed to Gideon as Yahweh Shalom, or the God of peace. So this is an aspect of God's very nature. He is the God of peace. He is peace. He is perfectly at peace. Then we come further through the scripture, we come to Isaiah, that famous verse in Isaiah 9, 6, which reveals Jesus prophetically as the one who then is the, the prince of peace. Now, Jesus, we understand from the rest of scripture, is sovereign over all the nations of the earth. So he's got a fair bit going on at the moment. You know, what with Afghanistan and with a, a global pandemic and now Joe Biden's just announced this new defence pact with the US and Australia. It's upset the Chinese government. The French are upset. None of us are getting along very well under, under this authority of Jesus. As Lord of the earth, you know, Jesus is across all of those different dynamics. He's across the whole lot of them. You think of the things you've got to deal with in your life. Jesus is across all of this, but you think he's pacing up and down anxiously, kind of wringing his hands in anxiety, wondering how it's all going to pan out, you know, voting his nails. I mean, I'd be all of those things. I am half the time anyway with different things that I'm dealing with in my life. No, no. Jesus is perfectly at peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He personifies peace. Peace is his very nature. What a miracle he invites us to share in, to participate in the divine nature. And so he says to his disciples and he says to us, my peace I give to you. Wow. Not that whole Anglican thing, oh, peace be with you, also with you. That's, it's, uh, nothing against that, but it can, it can turn into a bit of a good on you, have a good day, yeah, all the best, hope it goes well. No, no, Jesus is saying, I am the Prince of Peace, my peace I give to you. I'm giving you my peace, that peace that enables me to oversee the whole of the universe, actually, and all its dynamics, and your life, by the way, and still be at peace. I give my peace to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid because you actually have access to my peace, the very peace of God, the divine nature. You share in the divine nature. I reveal it by my spirit. You may have all sorts of worries and anxieties, but God. God reveals his nature. God imparts aspects that allows you to participate in his peace. So as we come to communion, interesting that Paul would say, we have the mind of Christ. Not I have the mind of Christ. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, all you Corinthians in the, in the body of Christ there. I have the mind of Christ. So let me just tell you what we, should, what we should do next. No, he says, we have the mind of Christ. As we discern the will of God, we have the mind of Christ. As we face temptation, we have the mind of Christ. As we engage in spiritual battle, we, we, together, have the mind of Christ. As we worship, as we serve, as we rejoice, as we celebrate, as we share in communion, we do these things.
together. We have the mind of Christ together. We experience the revelation of God together. As we share in communion, we do it together. As we do, let's ask the Lord for further revelation of his plan of salvation, of his heart, and of his very nature. Let's pray. Oh Lord, even as we share in this part of the service, just a few minutes of quiet reflection, we pray that you would reveal to us with greater depth your plan of salvation, even for those, Lord, who have walked with you for many years. Deepen our understanding of that, that salvation plan, that the, the crucified Christ, we preach Christ crucified. Lord, we pray that you would reveal your heart to us, that you break our hearts for what breaks yours. We ask, Lord, that you would even reveal your very nature, this extraordinary truth, that by faith and through the intervention and the direct action of the Spirit of God, we can be those who participate in the divine nature. What a thing. What a thing that is. Lord, deepen our understanding of that. And Lord, for those who are worried and anxious about many things, Jesus, Prince of Peace. Oh Lord. As you came to your disciples in that upper room, and broke bread with them and ate and drank with them and said, I give you my peace. Oh, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, that even in this moment you would grant peace, a peace that is beyond human understanding, that is revealed as we have the mind of Christ together. Grant us that peace. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.